I am going to be reading first from Psalm 96, our Old Testament reading, and then two verses in Acts 17. Psalm 96, verse 9 through 13. Let us pray. Our gracious God, grant us now in the public reading of Scripture and in the preaching of your message, ears to hear, hearts to believe, wills to obey. Lord, give us more than we have prepared for, such as your grace. Give us more than we deserve to hear, such as your grace. For the honor of your Son, who has removed our transgressions from us, who does not count our trespasses against us, who has buried them in the deepest sea, who has brought us near to you, O God, for the honor of your beloved Son, give us much. In Jesus' name we pray. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Turning now to Acts 17 again. Verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. God's word. Please be seated. Beloved, you are beginning to make real progress in your knowledge of God when you no longer fear the day of judgment. Did you hear that congregation from the ancient church singing with joy that the Lord is coming to judge the earth? Did you hear that they, those singers, along with the trees and the fields, are overjoyed that the Lord is coming to judge the earth? You are making real progress in your knowledge of God, when you no longer fear the day of judgment, when you rejoice over it. You no longer fear it, not because you have convinced yourself it is not coming. No, that day is coming. You know it is. As surely as God's judgment fell on the ancient world in the days of Noah, a final judgment is coming. As surely as judgment fell on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, a final judgment is coming. As surely as judgment fell on the unbelieving generation that came out of Egypt, a judgment is coming. As surely as judgment fell on the cross at Calvary's Hill, a final judgment is coming. But you no longer fear it. 
Why? Because you know the judge, and the judge knows you. In fact, the judge who appears on that day will appear in your very own nature, but glorified. As Paul says in our text, the appointed judge is a man. He will sit on his judgment chair in the very human nature, which had not been of his eternal essence. He will sit on that judgment chair in, his, in the very human nature, which he took to himself in order to become yours, who are in that nature, and for you to become his. You have already heard and believed this in the gospel, and on that day you will see it and it will be glorious. The very nature which Christ added to himself in the virgin's womb, understand why Paul says a man has been appointed. The very nature by which he gave unto God all the obedience you owe to God, the very nature which was nailed to the cross where he canceled the record of debt against you, forgiving all your trespasses, the very nature which he raised up from the grave on the third day, he will appear on the day of judgment in that same nature, your nature. And you who by the Spirit already know why he wears your nature, that it is the mercy of all mercies to sinners, you, his appearing will be the final great mercy. This is why Jude says that right now you are, quote, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Jude 1, 21. He's talking about the same day. Yes, it will be a day of judgment, but to all who have loved his appearing, it will be a day of mercy. This is why Paul says that those who are not ashamed of Jesus will find mercy from the Lord on that day. 2 Timothy 1.16 Beloved, this is why you are no longer fearing Judgment Day. The appearance of Jesus in the judge's seat on the last day at the end of the world has, be, has become something you look forward to. In fact, you look forward to it with a a sincerity and a confidence that you want it preached now to the whole world. You have such a sincerity and confidence in your looking forward to the judgment day that you even sing about it now. For it is the day Jesus puts the final gem in his crown of exaltation. Listen to how our shorter catechism explains this very thing. Question 28. Wherein consisteth Christ's exaltation? Answer. Christ's exaltation consisteth in his rising again from the dead on the third day, in ascending up into heaven, in sitting at the right hand of God the Father, and in coming to judge the world at the last day. Jesus, who was judged by men, will turn the table, and he will judge all mankind, being a man himself. And no one will be able to say, this one cannot judge me, he is not of my nature. 
No one will be able to say, this one cannot judge me. He does not know of my temptations. No one will be able to say, this one cannot judge me. He has not walked in my shoes, nor lived among my people. All vain efforts to replace the judge will fail. When the man comes around on that day, all men will immediately know there is no other man suited to judge like this man is suited to judge. And there is another thing about that day. No one will be able to escape it. Please do not keep this news from your friends. No one will be able to escape it. As Paul told the people of Athens, God himself has fixed a day. It is a day God has set up for his son's glory. It is a day which will neither be forgotten by God nor forsaken by God. Therefore, no one will escape it. There will be no snow day on judgment day. No other catastrophe, no other disaster will cancel judgment day. That day itself is the catastrophe. That day itself is the disaster. None will escape it. It is coming. It is fixed, as Paul said. Now add to that what Peter said at Cornelius' house back in Acts chapter 10. Verse 42, speaking of our Lord Jesus, Peter says, he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. That means dying is no escape from appearing before the judge on that day. All who have ever lived will be summoned. In John's gospel, chapter 5, verse 27, Jesus says, for as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. That's a statement of our Lord's divinity. He goes on. And he, the Son, has given, excuse me, and he, the Father, has given him, the Son, authority to execute judgment. Because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. No one will be able to hide in their grave on judgment day. No man can keep himself in the earth when the voice of Christ summons him out of it. For Lazarus, in his tomb, The voice of Jesus was a sweet foreshadowing of the mercy that will fall upon all believers on that day. But for others, that very same sweet voice, that very same voice was a foreshadowing of the rejection awaiting all the wicked on that day. Depart from me, I never knew you. You workers of lawlessness, Matthew 7, 23. Jesus told us he would say that on that day that has not yet come upon us. He's told us already what we will hear come from his mouth. He was not blowing smoke in our face when he said it. We will hear him say it. Let no man flatter himself, thinking he will be the one 
who escapes Judgment Day. You will all be there. I will be there. Everyone who has ever lived will be there. There will be no hiding in the bathroom on that day. As Paul says in Romans 14.10, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now this brings us to another flattery that is quite common to men about Judgment Day. It is common for men to think that if they cannot escape being brought to such a day, that they will not be judged any further than that which they already know about themselves. They flatter themselves by saying, I didn't think this thing I did or failed to do was wrong or evil. Surely God will not be so unjust as to judge me for that which I had no knowledge of as wrong. But look again. Look again at what Paul proclaims to the people of Athens. He says, Christ will judge the world in righteousness. Acts 17, 31. In the, Greek, in the Greek New Testament, that phrase, judge the world in righteousness, sounds like this. Krenin tain oikomenein ein dekaiosune. Now, the reason I'm telling you this in Greek is for a very special reason. I tell you this because that phrase that you just heard in Greek is repeated verbatim in the Greek Old Testament in Psalm 9.8, in Psalm 67.4, in Psalm 96.13, and Psalm 98.9. We'll judge the world in righteousness. A coming final judgment in righteousness is so desirable, the church has been singing about it for thousands of years in her psalms. But what does this have to do with the man who flatters himself, saying, Christ will not judge me for what my conscience has not judged me? Listen, a final judgment in righteousness at the most basic level is a judgment unlike any the world has ever seen or heard before. Such a judgment has not happened in finality for the world before. The final judgment will be the first judgment of the whole world that is truly just, truly thorough, truly unpolluted by the self-protecting mechanisms of men who adore themselves. When Christ appears to judge the world in righteousness, he will judge each man and each woman by a strict rule of what they have done or not done. That is what judgment in righteousness means. He will not judge them by what they think about what they have done. Understand? He will not judge them by their interpretation of what they have done. If they, do no, if they do not remember what they have done, he will still judge them for it. The righteousness he brings to the task of judgment will not be persuaded by the tricks and the gimmicks that men employ inside their own consciences 
Because, beloved, that is unrighteous judgment. We live and breathe unrighteous judgment about ourselves. That's why you and I do not have the poverty of spirit we should. In fact, some of you right now are probably feeling a smirky pride about the things you're hearing. The reason you're feeling that is because you are judging yourself in unrighteousness. If you could judge yourself with the righteousness of the judge, Jesus Christ, you would be so small before God, but so blessed by God, because you would know that you have no hope with him, but a savior whom he gives to you. We'll come to that again. Paul, knowing himself about this coming judgment and righteousness, says this about himself to the Corinthian church. It is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. 1 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. Paul is applying a judgment and righteousness to himself, knowing that the final judgment and righteousness is coming. That's how such a man talks. I wonder if these kind of men talk like this at dinner parties and in college dorms and at sporting events and in kitchen tables. Beloved, Paul talks this way because he is supremely aware that a final judgment is coming and it is a judgment in righteousness. It is only the Lord Jesus Christ who has the ability to judge righteously, and he will which means nothing about us will be overlooked. It would be unrighteousness to overlook it, right? So hear how Solomon now describes that day in the last verse of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verse 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Hear now how the Lord Jesus says it from Matthew 12, 36. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Now the Apostle Paul from Romans 2, 16. On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Now hear Paul again in 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart, then each one will receive his commendation from God. All of these verses are actually pressing the same point for those who have ears to hear it, that the final judgment will be in righteousness. It will be just and thorough and unpolluted by all the corruptions we find in the judgments of men, even which we find in the judgments of ourselves. The final judgment will be in righteousness. It will not be delegated to AI, artificial intelligence. It is delegated to a man, one righteous man, 
will be the judge of all men. John Flavel, a theologian of the 16th century England, said that some of his colleagues, other theologians of his day, believed the day of judgment would be so thorough, so exact, that the day would last as long as this current long day of gospel administration that we are presently in. Perhaps. It sounds a little speculative. But the point is, it is going to be so strict in its accounting, no one will ever be able to make the case after that a matter of righteousness was neglected, even on an idle word. How then, how then will the righteousness of the final judgment enter the conscience of wicked men? It will be so righteous, men will not be able to protest against it. As Paul says in Romans 3.19, every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. That day for the wicked will be very much like the foretaste of judgment that we saw in the life of Judas. Do you remember what our Lord Jesus said to the disciples in the upper room? when they ate the last Passover meal together? He said, woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. When Judas heard him say that, Judas said, is it I, Rabbi? Our Lord answered, you have said so. Beloved, that's what the final judgment's gonna be like. That is how searching and how effective and how righteous final judgment will be. Men and women will be brought to own the truth about themselves. It will come from their own mouth. The Lord will be such a master of judgment. In fact, at the very hour they discover about themselves everything that they had tried to avoid discovering about themselves, at that very hour they will also discover that no man had ever regarded them so highly before that day as Jesus will regard them in the final judgment. He will not not regard the wicked as blameless. That's not the highly I mean here. But he will regard them as the image bearers that they are. That's why he is judging them. They thought they were mere animals. They thought they were kin to the grass. And the trees, on the day of judgment, they will discover who they really are. Image bearers of the true and living God. You see, God must judge. God must punish. He must. For him not to do so would be a denial of the absolutely necessary relationship that exists between the creator and the creature. If there is no such relationship, he he need not judge. Here's how Carl Truman made this point. For God to forego his right to punish the sinner would be a rejection of the immutable fact that humans are rational beings dependent upon God for their existence and answerable to him for their deeds. This relationship is ontological, rooted not merely in God's decretive will, but in the fact that he is the uncreated source of all being. 
Didn't Paul just tell the Athenians that? When he said we are God's offspring and in him we live and move and have our being, of course he must come and judge. He will not leave his creation so undignified not to judge it. Now, one last thing. If you remember how this message opened, you remember God has something better in store for all believers in Christ. Mercy. Mercy. Paul is even even inviting the idolatrous people of Athens into this mercy when he says in verse 30, that God now commands all people everywhere to repent. That's an invitation to take shelter in a carved out space that God has created called mercy. He commands all people everywhere to repent. Repentance means we have rightly judged ourselves as sinners and we have called on Christ as savior. And we have taken up the fight now against all known sin in our, in our life. And we engage in the fight. So repentance is very similar to what Paul says to the Corinthians. If we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. 1 Corinthians 11.31. Does faith and repentance mean we will not have to appear at the final judgment? No. We must appear. All believers in Christ will still have to appear. You will all be there. I will be there. I might say that one more time before we're done. Paul says as much in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Must believers then, must believers dread the day of judgment with the same dread that we will see on the faces of the wicked on that day? No. Because we will not appear in court on that day unrelated to the judge. In fact, we will appear in possession of the judge's own righteousness. So Firm and lasting and irrevocable is our possession of the judge's own righteousness that Paul says we will judge the world with Messiah, Jesus Christ. His righteousness has all been imputed to us already when the Spirit acted to give us saving faith in Christ. This is why the scriptures say, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. And then, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, Romans 8.33. And then, John 5.24, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And then, Philippians 1.6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And then, 1 Thessalonians 1.10, You are waiting for his Son from heaven, 
whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Who is bringing this wrath? The one who delivers us from it. He will shelter us from the fires of judgment, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were thrown into the fiery furnace, there a fourth man appears in the fires of judgment, and out come the friends of the fourth man, and you cannot even smell smoke upon them. They have so been kept from the wrath of judgment. Does this mean, then, that Christ the judge passes over our sins? No. What it means, beloved, is that God has already brought forth a judgment in righteousness upon the sins of the elect. There was a judgment that has been revealed in the history of men. And in that judgment, the righteousness of God was revealed. It is not the final judgment. It was the inaugural judgment of all the elect. And it was when God poured out his wrath on the cross of Jesus Christ. God has not neglected our sin. That is not how we are kept from his wrath. He has answered our sin in making him his son become a curse for those who were under the curse. God has brought forth this inaugurated judgment for all his chosen people. In Romans 3.25, Paul says that God showed his righteousness in giving a propitiation by the blood of his son. He showed his righteousness, the same righteousness we've been talking about, the exact, the thorough, the excellent, the one with no space for error, He has shown his righteousness and judgment for his chosen people already in Jesus Christ on the cross. So we come to the day of judgment, the final judgment, and our works shall indeed be tried by fire. And there will be some loss, for not all we have done is deserving to be kept. But those good works that we have indeed walked in, that are spoken of in Ephesians 2.10, those good works that have been foreordained for us before the foundation of the world to walk therein, those good works will be, indeed, they will pass through the fire, and they will be accepted, not because they are perfectly without sin, like Jesus' works, no, but they will be accepted for the sake of his righteousness, because they are the works of the new man in us in its beginning. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And so Paul speaks of that inaugurated judgment again in Romans 3.26. The cross was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So to the wicked, and if any of you are among the wicked, This is a day yet where you are summoned to repent and hide in the shelter that is Jesus Christ. So to the wicked, 
The Lord says this to you, Romans 2.5. Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. If you are among the wicked today, if you love sin and not Christ, if you scoff at the resurrection like the Athenians did, the Lord is telling you today again in his kindness where you're headed. You will not escape without Jesus. To believers in Christ, the Lord says this. 1 Corinthians 1.8, you are not lacking in any gift. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. This means that the day of judgment, that final day, which is going to be a day of catastrophe and disaster and destruction for the wicked, that same day which we ourselves will also appear before him, it will not be a catastrophe for us believers. It will be a day of great mercy. John Flavel again, speaking of the trumpet that will sound on that day when Christ interrupts human history and brings it to a sudden end and sets up his great judgment throne, Flavel says, by the tremendous blast of that horn, sinners will be affrighted out of their graves. But for the saints, but for the saints, that horn will carry no more terror than the roaring cannons from the armies of friends approaching a besieged city for the relief of them that are within it. Oh, what a, what a day that will be. No wonder we sing about it. Let us pray. Our gracious God, if we find ourselves not trembling nor believing on Christ, Please, Father, if there are any such persons among us, confident in their wickedness, we pray that you indeed would be slow to anger with them and even yet kindly stoop and give them the heart of flesh and remove the heart of stone. Lord, we confess that no man can bring himself to Christ. It is Christ Jesus who seeks. It is Christ Jesus who takes captive. It is Christ Jesus who conquests and subdues. Come to the stony heart, to the stony-hearted man, the stony-hearted woman. Come to the stony-hearted boy or girl. And, oh, Lord, we pray that you would take them to yourself for your glory. May your will be done. And Lord, we pray that all of us would be so confident that your righteousness has been revealed in the propitiation of blood on the cross of Jesus Christ, that we can now look forward to the final day of judgment, that we can sing of that day when all the world we made right, when all the enemies of Christ will be put under his feet, when peace and truth and righteousness and love and holiness will reign without alloy 
Oh, Lord, we pray that we would be so confident by your Spirit's assuring work, by the fruits of your Spirit in us, assuring us again, by by the Spirit pressing on our conscience that Christ has been crucified for us and buried for us and raised for us and ascended for us and seated for us and is coming again for us, that we be so convinced by your Holy Spirit that we could sing of that day with great joy. O Savior, shepherd us to these things. Move us out of the staleness and dullness and even the death. Shepherd us into the green pastures by which we truly rest in your victory and triumph. In your name we pray, amen.